Matthew chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 1. Hear God's word. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all those who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we are grateful for your word, because without it, how would we know? How would we know who you are as our great and saving God? How would we know our own condition? Lord, we need your word to do its work, that we may see and understand and know and then trust and believe all that we're called to in Christ. Would you help us? Would you do that work today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, coming back to to Matthew, we finished the Sermon on the Mount uh, a few weeks ago, and now we're coming back to uh, where we left off in chapter 8. And so Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount, and now Matthew presents to us in his gospel a series of healing events. We're looking at the first three in that series. We'll continue on. Uh, after Advent and the new year, we'll continue on with this series. You'll remember from chapter 4 in Matthew that he summarized the ministry of Jesus this way, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And so having just presented his teaching and preaching ministry, he now moves on to show us the healing ministry of Jesus. Remember, one of Matthew's primary goals in writing his gospel is to show that Jesus is the Messiah, 
that he is the promised one. He's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. And so there are a lot of elements to this that would convince or help a a Jew understand that Jesus is the promised one, that he is the Messiah, the one sent to redeem God's people. We saw that Jesus taught with authority in the Sermon on the Mount, showing that he is the Son of God. And now his authority is authenticated through these powerful and mighty works of healing, both physical and spiritual diseases. And we'll, as we go on in the chapter, we'll see that it was power over nature as well as he calmed the storm. Because he is God in the flesh, he possesses dominion over sin's effects. You see, the power to do these things wasn't simply to enamor people or to impress people. It certainly did that. People were captivated by Jesus. They Many followed him just to see what he would do next. But the miracles of Jesus, rather, were to demonstrate that he was the Messiah, that he was the one foretold of from long ago, that he was the one sent to save God's people. And the outworking of this is at least twofold. First, so that the hearers of his preaching would hear and understand the message of the kingdom, all that it meant for them, that they would understand the fullness of the kingdom. And second, so that they would believe that Jesus is the Savior and they would trust wholly in him to save them, to forgive their sins. Now, reading about the healing ministry of Jesus in our own day is fascinating, but yet there are some challenges that we face uh, when we do so. One is familiarity. If you grew up in the church or if you've walked with the Lord a long time, you've heard these accounts. You've read them. They're in multiple gospels. And there's something about familiarity that can be dangerous because it it lends itself to us hearing these accounts and we just kind of become bored by them. We almost could read them in our head, even if we weren't looking at the text. We know the verses so well and we just are not enamored. So let me encourage those who fall into that category to, to pause, to reflect, to consider the awe in which we should respond to the one who would not only be able to remove diseases, but completely restore these people to health. A remarkable thing that the evidence was right there in front of everyone to see, not just that the disease left, but their health was restored in full Second reason why it may be challenging for us as we look at these supernatural works is that in our own day, the supernatural is often dismissed. Some may try and explain away or make little of these events that, well, what really happened? It, well, it, you know, it wasn't really leprosy or he wasn't really paralyzed or the fever wasn't really that bad and try and explain these away. Let me caution us against this temptation that we might instead read God's word plainly and understand it as it clearly teaches us that these are miraculous works of sovereign power that Jesus accomplished to demonstrate that he is the son of God. One other thing to keep in mind is that there seems to be a thematic arrangement of these. Matthew doesn't spell it out in his gospel, but I think it's fairly clear as we look at it that all three people in that day were second-class citizens. They were, uh, in a sense, outcasts to some degree or another. They weren't first in line. And so from a human perspective, these are least likely candidates to receive Jesus' attention. That's how we might approach it 
from a human perspective. The leper was considered unclean. Lepers were cut off from society, not just from worship, in that they weren't allowed to enter into the temple. That's significant. But they were also to remain outside the camp. They weren't to come near people, which is one of the things we'll see in the story that's so remarkable. The centurion was a Gentile. He was a Roman. He wasn't a national or ethnic Jew. Uh, Peter's mother-in-law, as a woman in that day of Israel, was considered a second-class citizen. She was not at the front of the line. And so Jesus is demonstrating, and Matthew captures this by grouping them together the way that he does, that the Messiah came to bring hope and redemption to all nations and all people. It's something that Paul would later uh, summarize what was done in the work on the cross in Galatians 3 where he writes, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is our hope. Now looking at verse 1, we see that Jesus, having preached the Sermon on the Mount, comes down uh, from the mountain. If you've been to this uh, area of the world, you know that it's not very big. So there wasn't, this wasn't a long journey from where he likely was and his walk to Capernaum. Great crowds were there. It probably didn't move very fast because of the number of people. It says, great crowds followed him. And we remember at the end of verse 7 how Matthew summarized their reaction to his preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority. So Jesus had their attention, and now he was going to demonstrate his power in a different way. And it was only going to garner more astonishment on their part. In the midst of these large crowds, we see in verse 2 that a leper came up to Jesus and knelt before him. Matthew introduces this with the words, and behold, which we've already seen Matthew use. It's kind of his favorite way of saying, look, you know, he wants us to pay attention. And behold, a leper came up. What is such, uh, what's the big deal? Why does Matthew want us to pay attention to this in a unique way? Well, as I've mentioned, lepers were considered unclean. Uh, They were considered unclean because there was so much that wasn't known about the disease. There was great fear uh, about how the disease worked and was it, you know, transmittable and and all of the things that, that, uh, you know, we, we haven't so quickly forgotten some similar fears in recent years of how, you know, and what, you know, could do to people. And so, you know, this was the, this was the condition. Uh, that, that if you saw a leper, you, you didn't, you didn't want to be near them. Leviticus 13 had built into uh, the, the law uh, how lepers were to be regarded. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. Don't want to spew on anyone. That was, that was the reason. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So for this man to approach Jesus and speak to him was a remarkable act of boldness on his part. But it wasn't just boldness that we see here. Because we see also tremendous faith in what he spoke and what he did. He both knelt down before Jesus in an act of honor possibly an act of worship. And he said to him, Lord, if you will, 
you can make me clean. Notice that it's not a question. It's not a request. He doesn't come begging, as we might imagine. He simply makes the statement, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. We don't know how the leper heard of Jesus' ministry, but it's not hard for us to imagine because we've already seen from Matthew 4.23 that he went throughout the region preaching, teaching, and healing. So word was spreading that even for an outsider, they would have known about this person, Jesus. But it seems that the Spirit was also working in this man's life as he communicates a faith of a supernatural origin. He comes not begging, but pronouncing his confidence in the power that Jesus demonstrates through his preaching and healing. He comes proclaiming or declaring or confessing his faith, declaring his confidence that Jesus has the power to heal. He addresses him as Lord, and we know that that could just be used as an equivalent to our modern-day sir, but what follows Lord seems to indicate that he meant much more than that that he understood that this Jesus who stood before him is the one sent by God, the promised one, the Messiah. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. The statement acknowledges the power of Jesus as God in the flesh. Who else could heal leprosy? There was no known cure. This nation, the people of all nations in this area had lived with this disease for decades, centuries, millennia, in fear because there was no known cure. Attempts at treatment seemed to fail. And in verse 3, we read, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. The power came through the touch, but was found in the words, I will be clean. The same power that created the world and all things is now spoken In these words of healing, Jesus spoke and it was. He agrees with the man's confession of faith and he cleanses him. And the cleansing we see not only removes the disease, if you had tested him, he would have tested negative, but it also cleansed him of the disease, meaning that it transformed his body. The scaly leprosy that would have been visibly seen left immediately. It was a miraculous event that the leper knew immediately he had been cleansed, as did all who witnessed it. It says in verse 3, and immediately his leprosy was cleansed, removed from his body. He was healed. The leper knew it, the crowds knew it, and then Jesus tells him to go and to obey the law of Moses, to present himself in the temple to the priest with a gift according to the law of Moses. Jesus had a high view of the law of Moses. There were those who accused him otherwise, but it's clear that he did uh, from his actions as well as his words. After all, he is the source of the law. And so this commandment that he gave would have involved a three to four day journey, about 80 miles from Capernaum down to Jerusalem. And Jesus added the instruction, "Don't, don't tell anyone. And Matthew doesn't tell us otherwise, but this account is in the other Gospels, and I'm not going to do a lot of this as we go through Matthew, but some, in some cases it's helpful to see what the other Gospel writers tell us about the event. And the other Gospel writers, especially Mark, tells us in Mark 1, but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And so he didn't obey. Uh, at least not in that part. He 
for all we know, did go to the temple, but he just couldn't keep it quiet. And it had an effect on Jesus' ministry. But the emphasis that Matthew wants us to see is that the healing of the leper demonstrates Jesus' compassion to the lowest of the low, the, the, fur, the one who's been furthest cast out. This is the person that you don't even want to see, let alone be around. You certainly wouldn't talk to them, engage with them, shake their hand, come near them. You didn't even want to see a leper. And this is who Jesus heals, the outcasts. He shows us that he came as a servant to seek and to save the lost. Does that resonate with us? I hope it does. Jesus came to accomplish a mission to save us from our sins. He did this by carrying our diseases, removing the curse and the stain of sin from our lives. Well, the next account occurs upon his entrance into Capernaum. Like I said, it's not very far to walk from where he likely was to the town of Capernaum. This was his home base during his his, uh, early years of ministry. It's a town that's situated right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And uh, we know that there was a, a Roman outpost there of some sorts. It wasn't very, likely very big There's in terms of the, the history that we know about it. But there was at least this centurion who was uh, one by the name, you could tell, a ruler of a hundred, right? He, that was kind of a mid-range officer. He had a hundred men, a hundred soldiers who were under him. And once again, we see this man approach Jesus and say to him, not, not in the form of a request, not in the form of a question, He didn't come begging. He simply said, Lord, in verse 6, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And so here we see a Gentile who declares, who expresses faith in the God whom he feared. He was a God-fearer because he came to the one who had the power to heal. He understood that Jesus had been sent. And Jesus responds to him in verse 7, I will come and heal him. Now, Matthew doesn't explain the significance of that, but he rather shows it to us in the centurion's response uh, to him. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. You see, Jews did not enter the homes of Gentiles because they were considered unclean. And so Jesus shows that he's willing to do this. He's willing to go into the mess. He's willing to, uh, to, to abdicate that sense of, of superiority that developed among the Jewish mindset that they wouldn't even go into the home of a, of a Gohim, a Gentile. And yet the centurion resists this because he knows the precedent. He resists it and instead points to the power that Jesus possesses, which is incredible the theology that the centurion had already developed, that he recognizes that Jesus has the power to address the problem without entering into uh, his home. He relates it to his own power as an officer in the Roman army that he says, all I have to do is speak and my commands are carried out. In the same way, he knew and trusted that Jesus could simply speak with the words to heal and it would be done. Again, Matthew doesn't describe the centurion's theology, but rather he shows it through his words that he simply trusted Jesus is the one with the power to heal. And Jesus reacts with astonishment. 
He marvels, it says. When Jesus heard this, he marveled, verse 10, and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. There's only two places in the New Testament where that word is used to describe Jesus. The other place, it says that he marveled at their unbelief in one of the other gospel accounts. Here, he is astonished. He marvels at the faith of this Gentile. Jesus experienced true human emotions. He was fully man and fully God. And here, he responds to the fact that this Gentile, in contrast to the Jews who had received the promises, who had the scriptures, who had the prophets and the patriarchs, who should have known and recognized the Messiah when he came, here was a Gentile who had faith that he says no one could surpass in all of Israel. Jesus then goes on, he turns to the crowd, he uses this as a teaching opportunity, he says to them, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Of course, Jesus is describing the rest of us coming in, the the nations, the Gentiles, joining the kingdom through faith to come to the table of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to the kingdom of heaven to receive all that was promised. We've seen this throughout the prophets. We usually talk about this quite a bit at uh, uh, Advent season, so this is kind of a good precursor for the upcoming Advent season. Just a few. Hosea 2.23, And I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he shall say, you are my God. In Micah 4, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains, and it shall be lifted up above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it, and many nations shall come. In Isaiah 49, 6, the Lord says, It is too light a thing that you should say, Be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. And while the nations will be brought in here, we see that there will be those in the kingdom who do not believe. They will be thrown into judgment. They reject Jesus as the Messiah. With all unbelievers, they will be cast into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Upon speaking of the hope of the nations coming in, the nations, tribes, and tongues, Jesus then instructs the centurion, go, in verse 13, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Again, a miraculous healing, a paralyzed servant who was suffering. There were other things going on. He wasn't simply paralyzed. It says that he was in great agony, and immediately his body was restored simply by the power of the word of Jesus. There was no physical touch in this account. Jesus didn't even go to the home. And it shows Jesus' power to simply speak, and it happens. This is because he is God in the flesh, sent to carry our sicknesses and heal all of our diseases. The final account is, is very brief. It comes at the end of the day, which according to the other gospel accounts was the Sabbath. And so it was likely uh, following the evening uh, Sabbath service that uh, they came to Peter's house. Peter lived in Capernaum with his wife and his mother-in-law. 
And so it seems like he, he must have invited everybody over after church Sunday evening. And uh, Jesus and the disciples probably for a meal come to his home. And Jesus sees, and Matthew doesn't give us any dialogue here. Uh, Jesus sees Peter's mother-in-law sick. It says she was lying sick with fever. No words, Matthew records, were spoken. Uh, this, this, this is how he recounts the story. It just shows that Jesus, in compassion, walks over to Peter's mother-in-law, touches her hand, and she is healed. The, the, the fever leaves. Peter's mother-in-law is restored. And again, to show, as, okay, so it's just a fever, right? Uh, it was enough of a fever to have her laying down sick. And then just to show the emphasis of the immediacy and the fullness of the healing, she immediately gets up and begins to serve, which is remarkable because we all know what it's like to be sick with fever, that even when you get better and the fever breaks, you don't immediately feel like getting up and serving. You still have to rest some. You still have to recuperate. It takes time. And so there's, there's something being communicated here about the fullness and the, 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 the breadth of the healing that Jesus is doing that she got up. It's also a picture of how we ought to respond to the healing of Jesus in our lives, that when he forgives our sins, when he heals our iniquities, our response is to walk in obedience of good works. That is, we are to serve others, to look out for the needs of others around us. That is, when you see a mess, grab a broom. I mean that literally, and I mean that metaphorically. When you see a mess, grab a broom. That's how we ought to respond. When we see people hurting, when we see people lonely, if we see crumbs on the floor, again, literally or metaphorically, clean it up. Don't think that's someone else's job or that's beneath me or someone else will take care of it. That's why people get, that's, we, we talk about people falling through the cracks. It rarely happens here at Christ the King, but it can happen and it does. It's because we often think somebody else will, will do that. Somebody else will reach out to them. Somebody else will send them a text message, call them to tell them, I'm praying for you. Do it. When you see a need, respond. Give generously out of what you have. Look for ways to spend your life. Not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything God's given you, the gifts he's given you, the resources he's given you, the time that he's given you. Steward it well in a generous way. Show mercy. Make peace. Forgive. Build up. Strengthen. Help. Restore. All in response to the great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Well, following sundown, the crowds then came at the end of the Sabbath day. They brought many to Jesus to be healed. There were those who had been tortured by demonic possession. Uh, There were those who were physically sick. Jesus, in compassion, casts out demons and restores people to health, all according to the power that he was the Son of God, to demonstrate that. Power over the spiritual realm, power over the physical realm, because he is the ruler over all and then Matthew, in, in, in this section, closing this section out, he gives us the explanation. He says that Jesus did this to fulfill what was spoken of him by the prophet. And he quotes Isaiah 53, that he took our illnesses and bore our diseases. We know Isaiah 53 is the chapter on the suffering servant. And again, it's one that is, is common and popular at, at Christmas time and at Easter That Jesus came in his first advent, according to prophecy, as one who was lowly, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Jesus came with a power to heal. And he demonstrated that in his earthly ministry that we might know full healing. You see, all of these people that he healed that day, it was only temporary. They all died. Their bodies eventually wore out. They maybe got sick again or something else happened, but they died. The greater healing, the final healing, would come later. According to the work that Jesus would later do on the cross, which is true for all of us, when we go back to Isaiah 53, we read our own story there. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, our greatest problem is not our iniquity, or not our infirmities. It's our iniquities. Our greatest problem is our iniquities, our sins, not our infirmities. You wouldn't know that from our, 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 our prayer requests or our, our times in prayer because we tend to dominate our times in prayer by praying for all of our sicknesses, which are important. They matter. We'll see that in just a second. It isn't just the spiritual, but our primary problem, our greatest problem, what we can, can't deal with ourselves in any way, what a doctor can't help us with is our problem of sin. And so the hope that we have in the good news of Jesus and what he came to show both in his teaching and preaching ministry and his healing ministry, but what he actually accomplished at the cross was our salvation, that he has taken upon himself our sins. What no one else could do for us, what we could never do for ourselves, Jesus did. In that while we were God's enemies, while we had gone astray and turned to our own way, the Father laid on him our sins. Yet our ultimate salvation isn't merely spiritual. It is also physical. There will be a day when our bodies are restored, when we're, giving, when we're given new bodies. Uh, the, these bodies, 2.0, so to speak. Uh, the, the right version, that we will, the, the way we were intended to be. That day is coming. Because Jesus, by removing sin, by removing the penalty of sin, namely death, and, and all of its effects, he then grants us new and everlasting life. And in that new and everlasting life, we're told that there will be no more pain, no more sickness, no more sorrows, no more grief, no more sadness. Our only hope is to fall on the mercy of Jesus, to place our trust in him alone. In Isaiah 53, we read, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And so the question for us is, are we trusting in Christ? that we are accounted righteous. Our best efforts, our purest theology, our good works, all count for nothing according to our salvation. If we trust in anything or anyone other than Jesus, our future is one of darkness and weeping. 
gnashing of teeth, suffering. It is only when we cry out as the leper did, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. If you will, you can make me clean that we can be cleansed and forgiven. And so for all who will cry out and say to God, if you will, if you will, you can make me clean. In your hurt, in your wonder, in your doubt, in your sorrow, in your struggle, in your misery, the Lord hears this cry and he responds to our true faith. I will be clean. And that cleansing from sin and deliverance from death will lead us to one day know true wholeness. To be, again, all that we were made to be. To have bodies as, that, as, as were intended, unaffected by sin. No more tears. No more pain. No more suffering. We will be all that we will make, were made to be forever and ever with our Savior and with our God. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's pray.